Hi, I'm Justin. Uh, if, if we haven't met before, I've been here a, a bunch, mostly because I was invited. Um, <laughs> work that math out. Uh, and it's a really, it's a gift to always, to, to be invited and to be back. It's been a minute. And really, uh, this, Gary's talking about the season of Lent. Some people really, really like the Christmas season. Uh, I'm fine with Christmas. It's good. Uh, other people really like kind of more like the fall, kind of Halloween is their jam. I'm definitely more of a Halloween person. I like dressing up. Uh, Lent is my favorite season of the year, and it has been for the last like six, seven plus years, a little bit more than that. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that. I want to tell you my whole story around Lent. I'll just say a couple things about this season. Why, hey man, uh, why it's, they see you. Um, why, why it's become a favorite thing for me, um, a season for me. One, I have, um, I have the audacity <laughs> to actually believe that human lives are designed to live in relationship with God. I actually believe that. Like, I legit, like, that there isn't a human person on the planet. That there is not a human soul, anyone on the planet, in the history of all of humanity who was not designed to have a relationship with God. I actually buy that. Um, I also buy that um, the different ways that we communicate that, like, this is one of those ways, can I get any men? Like, we set up our time on Sunday, we set, like, and if we're honest, we've talked about this before, if you've been around me, like, this works for us. God bless you. I'm glad it works for me. I love this. This doesn't work for everybody. Somebody say amen. amen. Like church on Sundays doesn't work for everyone. It just doesn't. And that's okay. So what that means is then like, what's it look like for folks, anybody, what's it look like for God to show up in lives, period. Lent is this fascinating season during which folks, a lot of folks, who either used to go to church, don't go to church, won't go to church, don't like church, all, all kinds of folks do this weird, they do this Lent thing. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Like, people in your workplace who talk about God never will come into Lent and be like, I'm giving up chocolate. I'm like, bro, you don't eat chocolate. He goes, right, it's going to be an easy Lent. Like, <laughs> but folks come into Lent, and there's this, uh, the, and some of it's cultural, I get it, but some of it's more than cultural. There's this strange awakening every year around the season, season leading up into the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there is this kind of buzz culturally in the air around Lent. And so a bunch of years ago, uh, out in Concord, where, I, where you know, the church people that I meet with, like we started paying attention to that, and we started trying to do Lent, practice Lent, in a way that opened doorways for folks who don't show up in our spaces. And I just watched people who have, in the past, like no language, for religious faith, begin to kind of find some language. Uh, people who have like maybe a lot of hesitation around talking about you know divine or religious things, kind of wake up to these th- things and start to like have a little more courage around it. I love this season because what it reminds me of every year is that God is always bigger than my expectations and plans, always. And in light of that. As I enter in, there's this thing that happens in me that if it's just, and I think you get this, if it's just me and the folks I regularly do my, my religious life with, um, I'm not going to call it boring, but we kind of can get into a rut. 
there is this other thing that awakens the human soul. This is why, like, like you know, being evangelical and, and like reaching out and thinking about people who don't show up in our tribe is so important. Part of why is because there's this thing that happens in my soul when I watch folks who aren't already part of my tribe wake up to Jesus in their own way. Something like reframes my own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when I see people who aren't already part of my tribe wake up to Jesus. Somebody say amen. It changes the way I see myself and my faith. I love this season. I love that I get to dig into me in this season. I love that in this season when people give up chocolate or they give up the internet or try. Or like, I'm off Twitter. I'm like, you should probably be off Twitter anyways. It's worse when you're there. Uh, like when people, when people do this, they can say everyone knows that person. You're like, you should stop. Um, like during Lent, when we, we kind of, we fast from things, people kind of give up stuff. There we go. I want to suggest really like, and this is, I'm going to probably cross a few lines here, is that when people do this, when they quit chocolate, they quit Twitter, and they take their time, I'm going to suggest that all these things, whether they want to call them this or not, those are expressions of prayer. It's a way for that person to say, I need to make some room in my soul for I'm not sure what. And I think that's God pulling strings in people's lives saying, hey, I'm here. Make a little bit of room for me. Let me take that and do something with it. So, if we're going to talk about prayer... Um, well, as I've done here before, I, you know, I think you know, prayer ends up ultimately whatever works for you in terms of the practice of prayer, run with that. I'm not someone who's going to say, hey, you've got to stand while you pray. You've got to raise your hands while you sing. You've got to kneel. Whatever works for you, I think that's how the Lord sees it. It's like, hey, however you get here, just get here. Like whatever, whatever vehicle takes you to get to my front door, you take that vehicle and I'll meet you there. I think that's the Lord. The other side of that coin is, at some point, there is this gift of leadership that Jesus himself offers us when it comes to the practice of prayer. And we're going to dig into one of those ways that he offers that this morning. When we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to go this way. Come on. Come on. We're going to do this prayer. Now, before I, before I start teaching on it, I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm just going to say the first words. And then we're going to go together. We're going to try to save this prayer. It's not going to be on the screen. I, you won't have lyrics. Um, we're just going to do this together. We're going to see how we do. And so you know, I don't expect this to go exceptionally well. Uh, I think that I've like, I'm not aiming at A's. I'm not even really aiming in like the B range. I think we'll probably be more like C or C plus, probably-ish. That's why I just, like, my expectations are for us. C to C plus range. So don't, no, no pressure, really. Which is, how, which is how, the, it's how I did all of school my whole life. I'm really just aiming at those C's. If I can just... So I'm going to say the first two words and then we're going to go together. You all with me? Ready? Our Father... Right, right. All right, really stop. Like, you go, exactly. It's good. But really, I mean, it felt more like a C plus. Like, there's, right? That's fine. Maybe a B. If I'm gonna give you some, like, we're self grading. Okay, good. Couple things. Who said? Who said debts instead of 
You got, got a couple of death people. I had like four or five death people. Uh, and then, like, for whom? Like, how many people use the word thy or thine on the regular? <laughs> like, it's like, like, it's just, nope, just, just, just the one. And then also, right in the back, yes. Uh, how'd you learn it? Do you remember how you learned it? Anyone hands up? Like, do you remember how you, how, do you remember how you learned it? You memorized in school? Where'd you go to school? It was a Christian school. Christian school. Okay, so it was part of, it was like part of, like how, going to school, you learned the prayer. Okay, good. Uh, there was a person over here and then over there. Where'd you learn it? In the 70s, it? there was this nun, because I wasn't raised in church at all. Okay. There was this nun, I forgot to sit for something, and she'd pop, 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 and it was like this pop. Awesome. Pop singing something, yeah. You learned it as a pop jam. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's going to stick with you. Okay, good. In the, how'd you learn it? Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Very good. Right here. Good old Southern Baptist Bible drill. Come on! <laughs> that's really good. Does anyone not know? Who doesn't know how you learned it? Anyone besides me? Like, I don't know. A few people? Like, it's just, like, I don't, like, I know that I knew, I, I know that I knew it. I know that there probably isn't a point in my adult life like the last four years. Uh, but there really isn't a part of my adult life since the time I was like 18 that I didn't know it. Really kind of at any point since I was 18-ish, I, I probably could have recited it decently well. And I know that there are parts of my life where like the prayer was around, but I don't really remember exactly someone sitting me down. I didn't go to a Bible school thing. I didn't like, I, I, it was just there. And there's a little bit of our prayer lives in general, that kind of works that way. Like, I don't know exactly where I got these inclinations. I don't know exactly where I got this idea, these knowledges, these bits of information about prayer. They're just sort of there. Somebody say amen. Like, I don't know who taught me about closing my eyes while I pray. But like, it's a thing I do. I don't know who taught me about like sitting still or sitting in a chair or kneeling. I don't know, like, I don't know exactly where that came from, but it's, it's kind of around. And some of that stuff is good. Can I say amen? Like some of that stuff is good. To have some stuff that's automatic in us is really, really good. Like we've talked about before. I don't want to be someone who, when stuff goes down, has to figure out what it looks like to talk to God. I want to be practiced at it. I want that to feel automatic. The dark side of that is sometimes, if it's automatic, I lose a little bit of actually like a personal touch to it. That it's a thing I just simply do automatically, and I lose touch with the actual connection in it. So this prayer, like I said, how you learn it, at the point, at the point in which this is actually taught, there's some formulations of this before in the past, but these adult humans who had been following Jesus around, watching him pray, came to him and said, as adults, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm struck by this moment in the text because, well, for several reasons. One, um, like these would have been people who, unlike us, they would have been, not, all, not like unlike, unlike all of us, but unlike most of us, they would have been around religion and religious practice like every day, most of their lives in like this deeply sort of, it's like woven through everything. As adult Jewish men, they would have been around religion and the practice of religion from, you know, knee high all the way through. So for them to stop as adults and be like, you know what, I actually don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't connect with God the way I see Jesus connecting with God and I want to learn. That takes a certain level of humility. Somebody say amen? Amen. 
like to actually stop and go, like, I know I can do it. It's in there and I can pull this off, but I want something else. To actually ask the question, will you teach me to pray? I will say also, these would have been people who I think like you and I at different parts of their lives did feel like they were connected and that the prayer they were praying works. And then at some point it didn't. And you know this already, that if you're someone who's been praying for most of your life or part of your life, the way you pray in your 20s doesn't work the same way when you turn 30 and you're in your 30s. The way you pray before you had kids <laughs> is not the same as you pray after you have kids. The way you pray deeply, like as your life changes, your soul is shaped, your culture is different, your relationship is different, and therefore I think our prayer life necessarily changes. It's this odd thing that we, like, and I didn't think I knew this, you know, I didn't realize that I thought this before, but it was like, once I've learned to pray, I'm done. I think I have to ask this question a lot. I think this is a question I have to come back to kind of regularly when I examine my own life and be like, okay, wait, I need to relearn how to connect with God in prayer in this season of life. I think it's a good thing to ask, and I think it's a great example they set. And when they asked him this, what he gave them is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's a little bit fascinating. It might should, may, actually maybe should be called the Disciples' Prayer, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. And I think more than anything else, like it's, it's, among, it's a great gift he gave us, but I don't think, watch out, I don't think what Jesus handed down were magic words, that if you just pray those words, all the doors get unlocked in your soul and in culture. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he handed them was a really, really powerful tool. And I think this tool of the Lord's Prayer, like most tools, does a couple things. One of the things I think this does is, it, is actually it shapes us in the practice of prayer. Like our practice, praying in this way, praying using this as a kind of a formula, as a tool, shapes us as we pray. And here's an example of what I mean. So you're familiar with this, the phrase, you know, give us today our daily bread. I love that like this prayer that's about my needs, this is about what I need, right, my daily bread. First and foremost, it's not about what I want. Somebody say amen. Like, that's fine. We're going to get to stuff that I want at some point. But like, it, like, this is about my needs. What do I actually need? That's the prayer. My daily bread. Just today, which drives me crazy. Just today? I'm gonna, I want to talk. He's like, I just want you to talk about today. Just today? Because my head's tomorrow. He's like, right. Which is why t- today is going to be so rough. Let's just talk about today. So first and foremost, like, I'm not asking the Lord about tomorrow here. I'm asking the Lord for today. That's formational. But before I even get here, before I've even asked the Lord for what it is that I need, I've prayed this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Which is to say, before I talk to Jesus about what it is I think I need, what I've said is, your God, your holy, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in, even in my own life. So that the desires and interests, the, my perception of my own need is now framed by what God is doing in the world. Somebody say amen. That's different. Because when I come to God for my needs, because that's oftentimes what brings me to prayer, I have this set of things that I feel like I need. Here's a reality. I'm gonna, this, is, <laughs> this is where I take one of those hard left turns and people are like, why do you do this? I don't, because I can't live any other way. My nine-year-old son, Great kid. Love him with all my heart. I do. He does not like homework. In fact, he hates homework. And the other night, he's having this, like, the total freak-out session about homework. Completely out of his mind, like, literally on the ground, like, 
just not wanting to do homework. And I get it. I, get, I hated homework. I, I totally get it. But as much as it's rough for him to do homework and he doesn't want to do homework, the reality is, is two days earlier, if you're paying attention to the news, they caught this guy. He lives in Oakland but works in Walnut Creek as an oral surgeon who's been running a human trafficking ring in Walnut Creek, which is the town right next to mine. And in Walnut Creek, kids from ages 8 to 12 have been trafficked for the last like six or seven years. They've been selling nine-year-old kids in Walnut Creek. So like, I get it, buddy. I do. That like, homework is rough and you don't want to do it. The other side of the coin is, if this is the thing you have to face today, homework, contextually, you've got it pretty good. Somebody say amen. When I put my needs in the context of a world in which God is trying to reconcile that kind of trash, boy, my needs take a different shape. When I'm concerned about where my money is going to come from somewhere in the next five or six months, I have to actually take that into consideration in a world in which still like a little less than half the globe lives on less than $2 a day. And that's the world that God is trying to care for. I want my needs to be framed by the work of God in the world so that I may humbly and wisely ask for what it is that I need in his context and not mine. And this prayer asks me to do that. I come to him because I got stuff I feel like, I think, and I might even be right that I need. But before I get there, I'm asked to consider what God is doing in the world. Formational. That's what the prayer does. It helps form me in my practice of prayer. As an, the other thing the tool does is it helps me get inside myself. I am not a great excavator of my own soul. Anybody with me? Like, I'm not great at this. Like, it's why I see a therapist regularly. It's why I've got a spiritual director, because I need people around me. I need some help to get inside here to help me navigate the stuff that's going on. Part of what this prayer does is it actually excavates. It helps us get inside ourselves. So like I said, as a tool, it helps to shape us. It also helps at getting, what, getting, at, uh, getting to what's in us. Different words and different images like, speak to us differently. Can I get an amen? So yes, it's important that we figure out and this is like, I'm not a Bible scholar. You got people around your lives who, who actually are. I'm not a Bible scholar. But what Bible scholars do, that stuff is desperately important. Like, what did it mean in the Greek? Where did it come from before the Greek? What is this word? Why does Jesus use it? What's the cultural context? That's really, really important to understand. The other thing that's important about these words, even as they're passed down to us through translation into English, is what do these words do in you? When you read these words, when you pray these words, what's happening in your soul? And different images and different words speak to different people and different cultures in different ways. As an example, if I say Patrick LaVon Mahomes in this room, there is a particular kind of reaction among certain people in this room that is not as positive. Similarly, if I were to show you an image of Patrick Mahomes there are people in this room for whom you might be having a relatively negative response right now. The other side of the coin is if I was to go to Kansas City and I was to show this, they would buy everything I brought. Like, this is different depending on the situation. Can I get an amen? And then some people football fans are like, who are not football fans are like, I don't know who that person is. <laughs> He's the best, is who he is. Um, 
<laughs> so that's actually just statistically true. There's no way around that. But uh, getting, getting to what's in us. Like I said, sometimes we become familiar with things and that's good. And sometimes we become familiar and I think we lose touch. So a little bit this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to look at this gift that Jesus gave us as a gift that we might want to return to through the course of this season of Lent and maybe kind of retouch base with ourselves in the context of this prayer. Y'all with me? So um, when I say, when we pray, our Father, what happens in you? A few people. Like, our Father. What goes off in your mind just with the words, our Father? Anybody? Prayer. Good. What else? Yes. Say it again. In heaven. You go right to the next line. Our Father. You're just moving on. Good. Awesome. Youthful energy. Right over, what is that? Intimacy. Intimacy. Is that because of the word Father? Uh, I think it's our, it's like collective. Oh. It's our Father. It's like there's a, so for me, it's like there's a connection to the people. Oh, that's good. And a connection. So it's both. It's like the yeah. our does the communal thing for you and then Father. And, and for you, both those words mean intimacy. Yeah. That's really good. Right here. I was saying, saying our yeah, man. That's good. Right here. God. God. So our Father for you, just like that's, the, it's sort of this, this, you just flip it out. This is who God is, is our Father. That's really good. I like it. A few more people. In the back. Judgment. Judgment. Is that a Father thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's really good. So when I go here, um, it used to be the case uh, that like the word father stuck out. Some of you guys know my story, having lost my dad a bunch of years ago. Over the course of the last several years, the last, yeah, like five to seven years, the word, I stopped at the word our as well. And the thing, the, the image, the memory that pops into my mind, um, and I was going to read this, I'll probably just tell it to you. Um, is the very first time, do I want to read this or not? The very first time I went to see a therapist. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just tell you the story. So, um, this was a long time ago, um, which is to say more, all my math stops at 10. So if it's, if it's more than 10, it's just a lot. So this is a lot of time ago. Um, I'd lost my dad. Uh, there was depression and suicide and I had, there was a lot for me to kind of wrestle through and I didn't know how to do that. Somebody say amen. And that's when you need professional help. So if you're someone who sees a therapist, tell other people you do that because we need to know that's a spiritual discipline as well. Um, so I went to see a therapist uh, and, I was, and I was, like a lot of people, sort of embarrassed that I was going to see a therapist because at the time I wasn't as comfortable with it. I was like, um, that therapy is something, for, this is in my mind, was that therapy was something that weak people did. That going to a therapist meant that I was admitting a kind of brokenness that I was uncomfortable with. And so, <laughs> so I didn't tell anyone I was going, I didn't even tell my wife. I was like, where's she going? She's like, I'm going shopping. She's going shopping? Yeah, for what? Clothing. Like, she's like, you don't shop. I'm like, right, I'm, sure, I'm turning over a new leaf. <laughs> Do you even know your size? Yes, man-sized? I don't know. I'm going shopping. Leave me alone. So, 
So I drive across, I drive, I drive across town to the therapist's office, and I don't, I don't park. This is all true. I do not park in the lot where the therapist's office is. I park in the Whole Foods lot across the street, and then I pretend like I'm going, as if I'm being followed by the CIA. Like I, like I pretend like I'm going to Whole Foods, and then take a left around the corner, and they go like around the back of the building. And even as I'm walking, like, I've got this, it was probably actually even this hoodie, if I'm completely honest with you. I've got my hoodie on, and I'm doing the thing where I've got the, I've got my, I've got this action going on, like, here. So I'm, like, walking to my therapist's office. And this doesn't come off. I get in the, like, I don't take the elevator, because everyone does. I took the stairs, because no one takes the stairs. I mean, come on, America. But I'm, like... So I take the stairs to the third floor, and I'm like down the hallway, and I get to the therapist's office, and then I open it up, and what I had not even begun to consider is that there's a waiting room in which there are other people. And so I walk, and I'm like, exposed. There are, there are like five people sitting here in the therapist's office. And I have that moment, and I, I'm sure like they all was like, a new one. And they were like, they saw me. <laughs> and what I'm sure they could see in me, is, well, like on my face, was like, like the fright and embarrassment. And this woman, sitting right here, pulled a magazine and a bag off the seat next to her and patted the chair and she said, you can sit here. And my therapy session started then. It didn't start like 10 minutes later when I was sitting down across from Terry, who's my therapist. It began when this person said, you can sit with us. You can belong here. There's room for you here. Sit down among us. You can belong. That what I believed is that all the stuff that made me feel weak and broken isolated me. Somebody, somebody get what I'm saying? Like it's what the enemy wants for you to believe about your life is the worst part of what you're going through is you're the only one who's facing what you're facing. You're the only dad who has to deal with that. You're the only wife who can't. You're the only member of the church who... You're the only, you're the only. That's the dark voice in culture that says, if you're busted up, you're the only one who's busted up the way you're busted up. And what the gospel says is what that woman says is, you have a place here among us. Sit down. You belong. Even and especially in your woundedness. Our Father. I'm gathered to God by grace to be received among a whole truckload of people who are just as jacked up as I am. Somebody say amen. Amen. And it is grace that binds us together. And if I want to share in the family, I got to walk through the doorway of grace and not of strength and not of having it together. Our Father. Similarly, um, Disconnected. This one. And forgive our debts even as we have forgiven our debtors. What does this bring up in you? Forgive us our debts even as we have forgiven our debtors. Few people. Yes. The people who've hurt us. Yeah, it kind of goes to like, it's not just, you know, people I've hurt, but people who have hurt us. Yes. What else? What else does it bring up in you? Yeah. Things you've done wrong. Yeah. What is it? Say more. If I want forgiveness and I'm not willing to give it, I'm not playing. That's good. 
Yeah, that's really good. I'm not playing fair. That's, a, that's actually kind of a powerful way to say that. Yeah, it's good. Over here, and then over here, and then over here. Having a debt that I can't pay. Having a debt you can't pay. Come on now. I mean, ain't that a thing, right? Like to kind of, again, reframe some of the ways that we work in the world. Like, I got debts, I just can't pay. That's good. Right here. Oh, coming up short. Not so much what I've done wrong, but just coming up short. That's good. So different than just like a flat out right wrong thing. It's like there are ways in which you just don't have the capacity. Like it's come up short. That's really good. Two more. One and then two. One. Uh, Yeah, a little bit of a heart search there, right? Like, do I need to take a survey of my own social sphere and figure out if I've dropped the ball there? That's good. And last one, so make it really good. Because God gave me grace, I should have said that to others. Good. So for you, you're sort of flipping it. Like, okay, this is sort of the active, outward, like, because God has extended me grace, I want to extend grace. This is the story that um, I wrote for, for this book that, like, this brings up in me now and it kind of comes to what you were saying about like the debts that you can't pay um and it goes like this i remember the unmistakable sound of breaking glass i remember the last few green shards scattering across the floor i remember a blue rubber ball bouncing among those shards i remember my son's eyes as he gazed anxiously at me I remember his open mouth, his body frozen mid-step. I remember doing the math in my head. The price of the cross when I bought it, plus the miles I walked to find the shop, plus the cost of the flight to Barcelona. I remember feeling that there would be no way to replace what I'd just lost. And that's the way of things, is it not? I don't get back, this is what you're going after, I don't get back what I lose when someone hurts me. The time, the resources, the emotions consumed by the injury are simply gone. Which is why common phrases like, it's okay, or it's fine, miss the heart of the matter so badly. It really isn't okay. It really isn't fine. And neither am I. I remember kneeling at the wall, picking up the larger pieces and dropping them into a small paper bag. As I stood up to take what I'd collected to the garbage, I saw that my son had crossed the room and sat down at the small table he uses for schoolwork or art projects. I figured he'd just moved on. He hadn't. I looked over his shoulder to find that he had set pen to paper and carefully drawn the outline of a cross, roughly the size of the one in pieces now at the bottom of this trash bag. Over the next several minutes, he decorated that cross with shapes and lines and color and shading. And then slowly cut out that new cross, dragged a chair across the room, and used it to reach up to the empty space on the wall. And pinning that cross up, he then pinned a second piece of paper right next to it that said, in green marker, I'm sorry. He knew that the paper was not the same as the glass cross. He wasn't expecting the materials of his efforts to fill the gap. He was trusting, watch me, he was trusting my love for him to fill that gap. Believing that he was more valuable to me than the thing that he had just broken. In whatever way his little eight-year-old soul was capable of saying, he was saying, I know I broke something, I can't put it back together, and I can't replace it, but here is what I have, please accept it. 
He wasn't looking for me to say, it's okay. He knew he wasn't. Nor was he looking for me to, for me to say, it's fine, because he knew it wasn't. He was saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me as a way to acknowledge that whether I meant to or not, I have abused and mishandled my position and power in your life. Recognizing that, I boldly and humbly ask if you will relieve me of the debt I owe you, because I cannot fully replace what I've taken, which makes I forgive you an even more remarkable thing. Saying I forgive you means that I will not allow your hurt to define our relationship. Instead, you are offering me freedom from the rightful consequences of my actions, which means I forgive you comes at a cost to you. You give up your right to extract a payment from me in exchange for my having hurt you. This is why relationships are often richer and deeper after an apology is met with forgiveness. Because the parties involved have said, in effect, you are worth more to me than what it costs me to be your friend. I remember sitting with my back against the wall, my son's cross hanging a few feet above my head. I remember a green the green ink rubbing off of my fingers as I read his note over and over. I remember looking up to find my son standing within reach. I remember saying, I forgive you, buddy. I remember him saying, thank you, dad. I remember letting go of a breath I didn't know I was holding in. And then I remember Asa walking to the front door, clutching that same blue rubber ball and saying, can we play with it outside? We don't get back. The stuff we lose when we hurt one another. We just don't. There are, we're, our lives are just chock full of debts that none of us can actually repay. And what Jesus does here is so genius. Because he does, who, who was saying earlier, it was just like, I can't, I can't just go about saying, oh, you're saying, like, I can't just go about like, okay, Lord, forgive me, and then move on. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand this. Every relationship on earth is riddled with debts that cannot be paid between these two people. And it is grace and grace alone that binds together people over the long haul. He ties these two things together because they intrinsically are tied together. To forgive and be forgiven are the same work of grace. It's not one and then the other. It's both together always. And that's how Jesus holds us together. It's how the hour of our Father actually happens. Is that we're continually bound together by, by grace in, through, and among us. That's what that brings up in me. Um, so, I, this is, you know, the way that the, the text is originally put together, uh, it, it ends right there. And then a lot of y'all did this part too, which is good. I like this part as well. But as I was writing this book, I came to this part and I, was, <laughs> I got really hung up here because I wanted to write something about this. But like, I, <sighs> for yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory. Like, I just not, that's not how I, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 4. I'm a little bit moody. Like, uh, like, this is so very like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Like... <laughs> It's very like triumphant in the glory of blah, 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 and it's just not my experience of life. And so I get to this and like, I feel a little bit of a detachment here. Like I, just, I feel this is a place where this prayer for the longest time just kind of like, put me on the outs. And it's something I believed, but I believed at a distance. I just, I didn't have a personal connection with this. And as I was wrestling through this, because I'm trying to finish the book because I had a deadline, uh, 
They're like, we will take our money back. I said, I will finish the book. And uh, I was in Europe, uh, uh, and uh, the, the, I was afraid a little bit, because this has happened every, every time I've gone. Like, the jokes, like, some of them were funny, but people crack wise about Americans, and I happen to be one of those Americans. Um, and so I was a little nervous about, like, being in Switzerland and, like, the jokes. And sure enough, like, there were plenty of jokes about America and all our problems and all this stuff. And, and then they, some of those jerks, jokes turned, some of those jerks, yes. <laughs> this is recorded. Uh, some of those jokes turned into, like, legitimate critiques. And I was sitting across the table and being like, yeah, I know, we got a lot of problems. And I was feeling a little deflated. <laughs> and then I was like, all the people at the table had iPhones. Um, and those were made, designed right here. And the only car ride I took uh, was helped, you know, was navigated by Google's navigation software. And most of the people around me, adults, young adults, even kids, like they were uploading all their day's events to Facebook and to Instagram and all those things are created. So yeah, like it's a lot and that's not right, but um, culturally there's, not, there's a lot that's not right, but, and. Um, Google will outlast everything that is wrong with America. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Right? We're literally, and as we're sitting there, so will Apple, right? Your iPhone will not. That's going to be done in like six months. You have to buy a new one. That's how it's designed. <laughs> but all these great works of culture, great culture outlasts bad culture every single time. I'm getting to something here, I promise. And even as we're sitting there at this, this restaurant bar, like on, on the shore of Lake Zurich, like all the music is like, like 80s, 90s, and today hip hop, and so it's like Lizzo and Billy Joel and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, and they serve Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels will outlast everything. <laughs> there will be roaches 3,000 years from now, like, I, they left this. Um, <laughs> and what it got me thinking was this um, like, I, I like my country, I love my country, all that kind of stuff. I'm more invested in the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm way more invested in the church of Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, and as someone who's been around and building into the church, this is a really tough season, friends. Because as much as we can make a lot of critiques about America, boy, the church in America has taken (laughs) just as many, if not more, uh, punches to the throat. And there's a lot about our underbelly that's been exposed, and a lot of us don't know what on earth we're supposed to do about it. And so I started thinking about like Google and Apple and like, what can I, what do I do? Like what cultural good? What's my responsibility here? What cultural good can I bring to the table that will outlast what is not good about church in America right now? And so so I started thinking about this book and I'm like, great, awesome. I've got this. And I'm like, this is not enough. It's just not like, it's fine. It's a good book. It's a good book. This is a good book. You should buy this. But like, it's not enough. Like, there's the, ble- like the bleeding, the percentages of people who no longer come to church anymore, like, we're like 25% of what we were five years ago. It's like, just, just keeps falling. I cannot stop the bleeding. There's no way for me to create something so good that I can help actually stop the bleeding. And so I'm stuck for a moment, and I literally hear the Spirit of Jesus say, that's not why you do what you do. 
You do what you do to provide tools just like the one you're writing about. Because what you're banking on is not what you make. What you're banking on is that something you make will help someone dig deep into themselves and find out what I'm doing. Because what you're banking on is what I'm doing in the world. Because it's mine. My kingdom, my power, my glory forever and ever. Amen. It makes all of the rest of it worth it. It makes gathering worth it. It makes forgiveness worth it. It makes reconciliation worth it. It makes works of justice worth it. Because we, you and I, we cannot create cultural goods so powerful and wonderful that they will outlast what is wrong with the world. It's just not possible. But we can provide space, time, love, food, somebody say amen, for people that helps shape who they are It helps excavate into their souls so that they might discover the work of Jesus Christ in them and around them and that that's what we're banking on. So through the season of Lent, which began a few days ago, let us be a people who excavate our own souls to find out what Jesus is up to. Somebody say amen. And let's invite some friends into that process as well. Because it isn't. I love what Gary was saying. Like, <laughs> it's not about like, like your ability to convince people of the truth of Jesus. It's not. It's never your responsibility. But you can put people in a position to have, a rec- to have this like, remarkable moment where God gets to like, show up and expose to them what he's up to in through and around them. And that's the thing we're banking on. So for the next 30 some odd days, let's bank on the work of Jesus in us, around us, and through us. Amen? We're going to go to a time of communion. I'm going to, Gary's going to come up and lead us through this time. I'm going to share a song. I can't help but think that on our way up, how many of us are going to be um, in our minds pulling out a green marker saying, I'm sorry. This is a time when we, uh, we gather around the table before our Father. We come to our Father and we say, um, we say I'm sorry. And we are thankful for that shape of the cross and what Christ did for us. Um, He is doing a new thing for us, in us. Um, Jack and I were driving through Sonoma yesterday and driving by all the vineyards. I saw the vines stretched out naked in a cross shape. (laughs) Barren, naked, but I knew what what those vines are going to look like in a little bit. You'll be able to see the new that's taken place. Um, In this season of renewal, let's remember um, that our Savior stretched out on a cross, naked, barren. There were a lot of people that thought, this is it. Who knew? Who knew? God was doing a new thing right there in their midst in this time of forgiveness. Um, just going to ask you to, to bow your heads briefly and just reflect on this is the cross and what this means as he took, um, as Jesus took bread and he broke it. He was seated at a table with his family, with his spiritual family. And he described to them how this is his body offered for them. And he took the cup and it was juice, it was wine that at some point grew on one of those naked vines.
And he said, this is my blood shed for you. I don't know uh, that they would have, but if they could have, I would think it would have been the prime opportunity for those very close friends of his to bust out a green marker <laughs> and to reflect and say, I'm sorry. So just in your own, in your own mind, would you do that? Thank you for being a loving father. And we thank you for the gift of your son. And we acknowledge that our renewal is because of this work that Jesus has done. Father, as we get in the line and we begin to make our way not just to a table, but we make our way towards you. May we do so um, with a hope that comes from knowing we are going to see something new. It's in your name I pray. Amen.